This is Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga, recorded at Halepule on beautiful Kauai. Each month we cover topics that can help you find balance in your life through food, good living, and the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Learn more at halepule.com. And here's the show. Hello everyone, this is Myra. And Kelsey. With Halepule's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga podcast. Today, our topic is being a student of life for success in Ayurveda and yoga. And I'm particularly enthused that this topic was suggested because it's about shifting our attitudes so that we can make progress with the practices of Ayurveda and yoga. And I personally spent my time trying to practice Ayurveda and yoga perfectly, looking for an end result. And that held me back until I learned about what it meant to become a student of life. So what does being a student of life mean? To me, uh, being a student of life means that we're willing to step into our life, that we participate rather than run away from it, and that we allow ourselves to actually to enjoy the process of it, you know, the good things and the not so good things as we might look at it. But it means having an open mind and it, it means having an attitude that requires a little bit of courage and determination. How is this different from trying to reach an end goal? Well, when we're focused on the end goal, we, we sometimes don't pay attention to the process. Right? We just will blast through things. And today it seems like our tendency is to skim the surface of things. Then we get bored easily and we want to go on to the next thing and the next thing. And granted, life is that kind of a transformation. But we, when we're continually dissatisfied or, for example, when our health continues to deteriorate, you know, then, then we know there's something we're missing, right? Because usually that means I'm doing things that are harmful. And that takes me away from myself, away from the God of my heart. Hmm. I can see how trying to reach an end goal then would have us get more, more stuck in the wanting to avoid the downs, but wanting to enjoy the ups versus just being flexible with what comes. Right, right. Definitely having, having always an end goal in mind, you know, if I just get to this point, then everything will be okay. Uh, Then it does, we, there's a lot of attachment there and attachment always brings us suffering, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and it can bring us learning too, but, but we'd like to minimize the suffering as much as possible. Because then, we're, you know, the suffering can be shorter and then the joy can be longer. Uh, and, and that really comes in the process of life. You know, if I'm uh, unhappy because uh, something didn't go well and, uh, and I'm having an interaction with someone else that has nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about the thing that previously happened, then I, I'm not present. And so there I am again. And I'm going to be, again, sort of dissatisfied with life. So that... An end goal then becomes sort of fruitless. I have, I had many times early in my life where I had these end goals, you know, that I wanted to accomplish and that, and I got there and, you know, and and then it was, I was kind of standing there going, okay, so now what, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you let go of that attachment to the end goals of things and started to become a student of life, how did you experience yourself change? 
uh, I became much more flexible. I, my body got more flexible too. I was uh, able to learn actually more quickly uh, that things would, um, I could see underneath things rather than just looking at the surface of them. Uh, you know, tell me the information I need to know, for example, something about Ayurveda or yoga. And then as I let go of those end goals, I could just be understanding of it and how it connects to nature and how it connects to who I am. So my whole approach to practices and to the study of these sciences changed. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned flexibility, and that would imply that that cultivating sattva or balance and harmony would be a very helpful aspect of progress. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That flexibility comes in sattva. And uh, as we take action that goes more toward tamas, you know, toward inertia, obviously I'm not going to be as flexible. You know, I'm going to think that I, I only practice asana just this one way and that it will never change. And, you know, it really ought to be changing every single day. Not that you have to do different poses or something. And the same with the pranayama practice. You know, it's not about the practice. It's really about our experience that goes on as a result of the practice. Mm -hmm. Both during it and afterwards. Yeah. So being a student of life then is a reference for success that's very different than looking for an end point. And especially true in Ayurveda and yoga, which are practices that provide guidelines for balanced living. So when working with clients and students, how do you encourage them to let go of looking for an end result, especially when it's just what they've always done and it's just what they know, and instead embracing being a student of life? Right. Well, I can, what happens is that you, as, as a teacher, you bump up against ego the ahamkara and that part of us that, and if there's a lot of tamas present, uh, you know, then sometimes it'll be pretty difficult. Uh, so you take it just a little bit at a time. And also that we focus our attention on the experience. So for example, if you're doing asana, it would be focusing on your breath and the feeling of alignment to learn to feel the prana movement and to recognize the difference when the prana is not moving versus when it is. And then, then, of course, that takes us to feeling well. Mm-hmm. And so those clients then that embrace that new perspective and attitude and let go of this attachment to the end results, how do you see them progress related to clients who just try to hang on to doing it perfectly? What does that look like? It's very different. Those are two very different things. Uh, when, when people hang on to a goal, uh, I want my weight to change this much. Or I, I, I have to be, you know, that thing has to be gone. Then they're not allowing themselves actually to progress. People who just take up the practices, recognize the direction that they're going, then, then the prana starts moving and it all builds on itself. It's cumulative. And this is how the practices are designed. You know, for example, pranayama, it's cumulative over the years. And it's not that you have to do the exact same thing because you should progress in that. And that's why it's good to have a teacher who's working with you on that. But from just from the standpoint of Ayurveda practices for Ahar and Vihar, our diet and our lifestyle, just by making those changes, then we can start to experience 
uh, the, that transformation. And it's so interesting because when people are just focused on the end goal, I'll talk to them after, let's say after two or three weeks and, you know, six of the eight symptoms they had are gone, but they're still mm. focused on the one. So, <laughs> and it's hanging around usually. Yes. And so, we, you know, we, yeah. we, and when people get identified with a symptom or a problem, they call it, you know, my depression and, and my high blood pressure and that it's not going anywhere. You know, that's an indication that we are, uh, you know, that we have some identification with it and that it somehow is serving us. Uh, and I know that might sound crazy to some people, but if you find that you shift that speech and that thinking to uh, the high blood pressure and that it can go away. And um, I've seen this so many times. So the people who really allow themselves to just dive into life, become that student of life and allow themselves to just see, you know, day by day, week by week, the changes that take place, it's tremendous. And then this is what I see. It's so empowering about Ayurveda in particular <clears throat> is that, that then we start to see, Oh, I actually really have a lot of control over what's happening to my body, to my mind and to my experience of life. Hmm. And something I, that I remember you saying to me often is that your best is always enough. Your best is always enough. Yeah, yep, your best at any moment in time because it's our best. <laughs> and we may not like it. We may think, you know, I could really do better next time. Then you will. But if you say, if you just chastise yourself and judge yourself for it, uh, then you're likely to just do the same thing again because mm -hmm. you haven't allowed yourself to learn from it and to transform. Yeah. But also that it doesn't necessarily mean to justify poor choices as, well, that was my best. So you still want to look forwards to where you're, the direction you're going, but just to be in acceptance in that moment. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because every moment is where our power is. Yeah. When mm -hmm. I, in acceptance of, oh, okay, this is what I just did. Okay, good. How can I learn from that? You know, then the energy is flowing. Yeah. But if I'm judging and criticizing, it's not going to change. It doesn't flow. I see that in clients who want to practice Agnihotra, for example, and they have this desire to do this practice that they've learned here and really love, but they're afraid of not doing it perfectly, not being able to do it every sunrise and every sunset. So they don't take it up. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's again, that's that um, hamkara, that's that ego. And, and, and sometimes we, uh, set that kind of standard for ourselves thinking that it's going to make us better or most of the time we set that kind of a standard because we're afraid of somebody criticizing us or afraid of somebody getting mad at us. You know, it's a, it's a, uh, something that happens usually in childhood and it really doesn't serve us to continue it um, as an adult. Mm -hmm. so the practices of Agnihotra, you know, it's a beautiful practice for sunrise and sunset that anybody can do that will help you not only come into the rhythm of nature, which is our natural rhythm, but it helps us to soften and open the heart. And what a wonderful thing. And it just takes a few minutes in morning and evening. And yes, you do it as often as you can. And when you find that you start doing it, then you've realized what a great thing it is. And so then you make an effort 
to make sure that you can do it as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they still get benefit from doing it at those as much as they can. That's of yeah. course. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So becoming a student of life, being successful on the paths of Ayurveda and yoga, it requires letting go of good and bad and right and wrong and perfectionist thinking. And it's not rigid rules, but a set of practices that provide a pathway for us. And when we have this black and white thinking, we come up against obstacles like ego, hamkara that we just talked about, and also judgment. And the judgment holds us back almost more than anything else. So let's take a short break. And when we're back, continue our discussion and talk about other obstacles and how to move beyond them. An Ayurvedic approach to healing guides us to our natural state of health, where we are free of symptoms and illness because we have addressed the underlying causes of imbalance. In Ayurveda, we look at the whole person, not just a body part. Physical health is not separate from mental and spiritual health. Practicing Ayurveda can help you find balance to feel whole and healthy. Our support goes far beyond addressing your physical ailments. We'll show you how you can experience greater balance in every aspect of your life. You can have a health consultation no matter where you are in the world. Or you can join us on Kauai for treatment or immersion. Purchase your consultation online at hollypule.com or email info at hollypule.com for details. We're back. We've been talking about success in Ayurveda and yoga and how that's different than modern standards of acquiring things and proving success in material objects or certificates, things of that nature. And that truly, Ayurveda and yoga are just about being students of life, which lets us grow. And then that's when the progress comes. So we mentioned judgment being one of the biggest things that holds us back. Why, why is this? And how can we move beyond it? Judgment holds us back because it keeps us actually from interacting in life. We're, we're really not in relationship with anything at that point, except our own mind. And this is sometimes not a good idea. And so how we move beyond it is that, yes, we want an, an idea and an ability to self-assess, but we also need to do that through our interactions as well. Judging myself, I, I'm not listening to anything going on around me. And often we're wrong. There's, you know, students will do this. And we, we have a practice called firing the judge that is very effective for making a shift in that attitude. And, you know, it doesn't matter when we took it up. It, it just matters that am I willing to change it? You know, what would happen if I went through my life every day and I didn't allow myself to judge myself at all? that I could do something and let's say I didn't like the results, you know, or somebody else didn't like the results. Then I can look at what I did and, and make some assessment. What could I do better? Or I might interact with somebody and find out, you know, what are some of the things that could make this better? You see, but if I'm judging myself, I'm not going to listen to that very well at all, if at all. So we uh, have everybody um, draw a picture of their judge and then burn that. So it's, it's just a nice energetic shift for people. Mm -hmm. We had a student here recently who attended an event and prior to coming, he had a a death in the family. 
he ended up coming, but didn't feel as present as he had anticipated. And he had set some goals and high expectations for himself. And in the first part of the event, he was judging himself and his ability to be present. He wasn't sure if he was going to stay or not because he knew he, wouldn't going to, he wasn't going to achieve these goals. So it was an interesting process watching him decide whether to hang on to that, that ego involvement and that judgment or to let go and just be present and take in the healing that was offered in this space during this time for him. And he stayed. And had great results. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, left with bright eyes and a new perspective on life. So how then do expectations and setting standards for ourselves fit into, how do expectations and setting standards for ourselves fit in to a healthy reference of progress? Okay. When we have expectations, it's important that we realize that our attachment to the expectation is the problem. So having an expectation sets the energy. So I say, yeah, I have an expectation that I can uh, finish this uh, course or that I can do something. Yes, I think that's a very reasonable thing. But if I'm attached to when that's going to happen and how that's going to happen and and what it's going to look like exactly on the other end, that's where I'll create a lot of suffering for myself. You know, sometimes people get married and they, they have expectations and, and, and they might not have been things that have been talked about or set out. And so it's a process. It's that process of life on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-to-moment basis that allows those expectations to serve us by setting energy, but not serve us through their attachments. Mm-hmm. And, and so that those are the things that allow us to expand our view of ourselves. Again, though, it, it, depending on how you, how you look at an expectation, if you have attachment, then you'll suffer for it. Mm-hmm. It can be used as a way of setting energy. Okay. Another thing that, that clients or students frequently bring up is fear and that fear holds them back from just being okay with what, how things are in the moment and having that acceptance. And in particular, fear of not doing things perfectly, but also fear of doing things differently than others in their life, especially around food. Mm-hmm. So what are the tools that they can use to turn away from fear in these moments and just redirect themselves? Well, fear, you know, fear is at the root of everything. You know, if I have, if I set a high standard for myself and I'm rigid about it, there's fear underneath that. Uh, So it has a lot to do with our ability to succeed. If you look at success in terms of the mind and the heart. Now, when I think about Ayurveda and yoga, that's what I think about is that we have success by taking ourselves into these practices and seeing a different way of living than sort of speeding along with everything that's going on outside and around us. So we get to know our inner world and let that dictate our outer world rather than the other way around. So fear is 
when I have a sense of disconnection, when I really don't have a sense of my higher self or the God of my heart or my connection to the source. So the practices are all meant to be done, not in a rigid way, but in a way that cultivates that, that it cultivates our sense of connection and our sense of what love truly is as a state of being. And when we do that, then we are able to move beyond our fears. Sometimes, sometimes it comes quickly and sometimes it's a little bit at a time, but it comes. You know, I've worked with a lot of people who have had fear of flying. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then and now we're down the road, you know, it's not their favorite activity, but they're able to go fly and not make a big deal out of it. You know, those are, those are important transformations to, to recognize in oneself. But that notion of being different from others, you know, some people say that we have this instinctual thing inside of us that we have to be part of the pack in that. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that at all. But it does, you know, you can be at the front of the pack or the back of the pack too, if you like to think of it that way. But more importantly, this is the part of us that has that uniqueness but meaning in our constitution that we're each an individual. So we don't, we, we're not one size fits all. You know, you can look at us all, goodness gracious, all different sizes, shapes, colors, everything. And that are perhaps a good part of our being a student of life is to recognize that we are all the same inside. And that if we just come to know that part of ourselves, which is what Ayurveda and yoga ask us to do, then we can have the freedom to create and to be the person that we want to be. And that will help us move beyond the fears day by day. And then we can make choices that we want as well, aligned with our health and well-being. That's right. The diet and the lifestyle and everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And to realize that we won't be left out yeah. in the long run. <laughs> yes. And how does mantra help the process? Well, the mantra is a tool, a very powerful tool. Uh, we think about mantra, not just singing. Some people think of it as singing to God, but, but um, I like to think of it as, as it's my effort, my attempt to align with God or to align with the source of the universe. So there's a surrender action in it rather, um, rather than just a reaching out. So that's one thing. And then mantra helps because it's something that, that should feel good to us. And so we can turn to it and use it three times, 108 times, 1,008 times, whatever it is. Uh, and it will help us reset ourselves energetically. So you can do it if you're angry or upset. You can uh, do it you know, any time of day. And it's much more powerful if you do it internally than externally. And you mentioned having it be a surrender and that it, that it is a surrender at its essence. And we often talk to clients and students about making our practices and our lives an offering. And can you expand on what making life or practices an offering means or could look like? Again, it's really about the attitude sometimes people just approach the practice to get it done. <laughs> That's that end point thinking again. And oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's really nice if you can approach your practice in a way that allows you to just, let's see what's going to happen today. 
And I encourage people to say, it's, this is an exploration. And you might start out and say, oh, I don't feel that good today. You know, uh, but if you just turn your focus to your breath and that, oftentimes whatever that heavy energy is that has us not feel so good will just shift. And then also it gives us a good sense of ourselves. We get to know ourselves in that offering. Because if I say, let's say that I start uh, pranayama or asana practice and that heaviness doesn't shift yet, uh, you know, then, then maybe it's time to rest you know? mm-hmm. uh, and rest the mind, which usually then mantra would be a very good tool at that point during your meditation. Mm. And for someone who comes from a background like mine where uh, control was how I operated, just trying to control everything, then the notion of, of offering or surrender was, is just seems so vague. Uh, is it enough just to set an intention of something being an offering, to set the intention of it being a surrender, and then start that shift of energy in that direction? Sure, that's enough to get started. If you really can make that intention, then that'll get you turned in the right direction, and then you just keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the vagueness of it is... <laughs> It gets more clear the more we slow down, mm-hmm. the more we have uh, we incorporate more sattva into life, meaning things that have they don't have to be slow slow. It just means not fast, not disturbed. You know that our actions and activities are not about rushing or how fast can I do this or how much can I exert myself. So the notion of sattva then is, is, uh, is the main point, I think, that we need to consider mm-hmm. in terms of offering and, and, our, yeah. and surrender and that. And then and success in general. Success in general. Yeah, yeah, because then you can be gentle, you can laugh at yourself, and you can just take things in small pieces. And that's what brings the true growth. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so the, the, you know, the other thing, too, is that we have from yoga, we have the yamas and the yamas that help us in all of this. We, we talk about the practices of consciousness in life. It's not that those are anything other than you know, being conscious when you wash the dishes and being conscious uh, as you move about in life so that you start to be aware uh, of others and you start to be aware of the energy that you put off and that what's around you. And that makes life, again, much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing. That's all we have time for today. And thank you all for joining us. If you'd like to work with us to determine the best approach for you, then we offer consultations in person and by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Thanks so much for listening to Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Don't forget, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, just submit your question on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag AskHaliPule. That's H-A-L-E. P-U-L-E. And if you want to go deeper on your own path toward health, book a consultation at hollypule.com. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution.
Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our Troidoshic approach to create nourishing meals, join simple Ayurvedic cooking with Halepule. The recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.